To promote my new flower shop, I had one place print my business cards, another print my brochures, and a third, my signs. Now my roses aren't red, my violets aren't blue, my geraniums look dead, and I don't know what to do. Staples can help your business stand out with signs, banners, and brochures that are a true reflection of your company. And now with Staples, spend $50 or more on print and marketing services and get $5 off your next in-store purchase. Now my business is blossoming and I'm spending less green. Exclusions apply. In-store only. And 62318. This podcast contains explicit material that may not be suitable for all listeners. For those of you brave enough to stick around, enjoy the show. Oh, here I come. Let your players get near me. Holler if you hear me. Oh, here I go. Welcome to the We Still Booze Podcast, brought to you by WideRightNattyLight.com, your one-stop Iowa State online blog shop. Now, here's your host, Tom Dang. Leg and I'm gone. Then I take a few steps and I keep left. And the people take a deep breath and I'm up in your end zone. 816, boys, we reference connected with Iowa State. Play out a position and it's checkmate if you hesitate. You've been told offense and defense is dropping the load. Welcome, Cyclone fans, to another edition of the Wide Right Natty Light Podcast. The thing in Iowa is if you don't like the weather, wait a couple hours. I guess the same holds true for Big 12 Conference expansion. Uh, presidents and athletic directors today in Dallas decided not to expand uh, to 12 or 14 teams uh, and keep the conference at 10 teams. I'm sure we'll talk more about this on a later episode. Uh, but today we have a special guest, former Cyclone Paul Shirley, who's back in the Midwest. Uh, he's doing some speaking tonight and be doing some speaking in central Iowa uh, this Wednesday. Paul, how are we doing tonight? I'm all right. Coming off uh, a fine talk to the student-athletes at Emporia State University, now sitting in a rest stop off of the Kansas Turnpike, talking to you. Very good. Was it a full house tonight, Paul? Uh, the uh, the student-athletes were required to attend, so yes. <laughs> But if I were if I were a band, if I were a band, I would try to figure out how you could play shows where people are required to come. <laughs> I mean, you, the problem uh, is the real the real issue though is that now that I think about that, it makes for a bountiful audience, but it does not necessarily make for a. Uh, it's not an audience that necessarily wants to be there so that means i do have to sell myself a little bit which is kind of a challenge <clears throat> so you're you're saying they weren't standing up and body surfing uh trying to get in the front row tonight? right right at least not until about 40 minutes in when i really had them in the palm of my hand but it uh i think like imagine if you were yeah if you paid 30 bucks to see uh uh the silver sun pickups You'd be like, I'm going to like this show. However, if you're required to go see the Silver Sun pickups, you'd be like, eh, maybe I'm going to like this, but they got to prove something to me first. So you're you're talking Wednesday. Uh, is it kind of the same deal to the, the students over there at DMAC and Boone? Yes. Uh, yes, I'm talking to it's, – it's mostly – I mean, a lot of them, I think, at, especially at DMAC, a lot of people will be uh, student-athletes, but it is also for – the general community, so it will not be uh, athletics heavy. I mean, I'll be definitely telling some stories from my basketball past, but 
Uh, I've been talking uh, about what I've learned about adapting because, obviously, if you know my life at all, I've had to uh, adapt to some different situations. Um, And when I say situations, I mean both career-wise and also just injuries and chaos within my own career. So, uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying talking about what lessons basketball has taught me about figuring out what's going on with yourself. So how often, uh, how often do you do these speaking engagements and do you, you stick around, you come back to the Midwest, you do some uh, out in L.A., that's where I believe you're, you're living at right now. Yeah, that's where I live. Um, I have probably done – 10 in the last three years it seems like honestly it seems like this will be a thing that I do more of um, but it's not necessarily a career it's fun because I actually believe in what I'm saying um, which is nice I don't know that I could have given these talks three or four years ago because I was still too close to my own career I'm 38 now and I stopped playing when I was 33 so I've had enough time to think about like well what did I get from being a college athlete and what has getting out of basketball taught me about how to adapt to the next thing. Um, I certainly would hope that I will give a better talk in five years, but for now um, people seem to be, uh, and it is something I, I like doing. It allows me to be on my feet and, um, and tell stories because I have seen so many bad speakers that uh, it's, it's nice, I think, to try to go undo some of that damage. So without giving away all of your thunder, uh, we want to we want a full house there in Boone on Wednesday. But without giving away all of your thunder, what uh, what is the biggest thing that you've had to adapt to, or, or what is the biggest lesson that maybe you've learned from your experiences playing in NBA overseas for some minor league organizations? Uh, what's well, maybe your so, main your main point? So I think I talk a lot about the fact that. Um, I oftentimes when I was playing would get away from what I really loved about basketball. What I loved as a high school player was being able to change from this fairly mild mannered and even keeled kid into just a bit of a wild man on the court. Like I loved that transition. Um, And then as I got more successful, I I got away from that sometimes because I started thinking about what other people were expecting from me. Um, and, and sort of rode that wave a bunch where in college I would um, get fed up with myself, realizing I was, I was behaving a certain way that it was according to what people wanted from me. Um, and consequently, I think I got worse as a basketball player when that happened. When I got back to my roots, when I figured out, like, here's why I care about basketball. Here's what I love about it. It, it almost always followed that then people wanted me to do it more. Or they wanted to pay me to do it. Um, and then I've also noticed that, that has been true and here's why I can maybe talk about that a little bit more. And it's been true in my writing. Um, and it's even been true in speaking when I'm thinking about like, well, what do people want from me? I'm lost. Like it's usually a disaster. Um, when I write something that I care about, sometimes people come along for the ride. Sometimes they don't, but the only chance it has to be worth a damn is if I connect with like, what do I really care about in this piece of writing? And a lot of times that is, I want someone to read this and feel like they're less alone. Like I, I grew up a huge reader and and uh, loved knowing that other people were out there having the same thoughts I was. Um, made me feel a little bit less alienated. And so I've, I've been able to kind of adapt to different stations in life. 
when I'm able to keep sight of that idea that um, if I do what I care about, if I can like figure out this is what I'm passionate about and this is why it matters to me, then usually it goes okay. When I get away from that, things start to crash down. I want to touch on, on your writing here in just a little bit, but you mentioned something. Uh, so us fans, when, when we're watching these games, you mentioned how you maybe had a different demeanor off the court than you did on. Is that pretty normal mm-hmm. uh, for players in professional sports or even at the college level to carry themselves differently on the court and off the court? Or for the most part, would you say uh, their demeanor and their actions are pretty consistent? Uh, that's a that's a good question and an astute one. I think it it depends a lot on the players. Um, today I was speaking to, so I spoke to the, the student athletes of, at Emporia State as a whole, but before that I talked to the basketball teams and had them figure out or had them talk about like, well, what is it that I care about each individual player? Um, and it was interesting listening to them because some of them were kind of like me where they loved being able to change when they got on the court, but some of them, are consistent like they're they're one thing on the court and they're the same thing off the court um i think you can carry certain aspects of your personality throughout but um i think it really does depend on the person i didn't watch a ton of tennis growing up but i always liked watching tennis with my brothers and you could see with certain tennis players that some of them needed to really get emotional in the game and really connect to what they were doing the john mackerel i suppose was the archetype of that Others of them needed to stay super controlled, and if they let their emotions get the better of them, then they were in trouble. Um, I think for me, like I always probably needed to walk a line. Like I couldn't let myself get out of control, but I needed to let myself go to some degree because a a large part of my brain was saying, like, this is crazy. Like you're running into this 6-foot, 11, 270-pound man. You're not going to win this fight, but you need to be able to go to an irrational place in order to succeed, especially – as you ratchet up the levels of, of sport. How do, how do coaches play a part with that? I know you played for two different coaches at Iowa State, uh, Floyd and Stacy. Are they trying to get a certain demeanor on the court, or is it a matter of if you're producing, you can act, you can act uh, intense, you can act passive. Uh, as long as you're getting the job done, they don't really care. I think truly great coaches are able to tailor their coaching style to what a player needs. Now that gets different when you're dealing maybe with a hundred football players or something, but in small team sports, I think a lot of the time the coach knows or can read, well, this is what this guy needs in order to bring out the best of himself. Um, And I always struggled to be perfectly frank with the way that, Coach Stacy dealt with that. I, I loved Coach Lloyd and remained close to him in large part because he was able to manage people differently um, and was able to see, you know, I might I might treat Kelvin Cato this way and I'll treat um, Clay Edwards this other way uh, and, and knew kind of when to push and to pull. And I think that's what makes for coaches who have some longevity and who can who can do it at different levels and who can do it in different situations. You mentioned uh, you're, you're truly successful at your writing when you're writing about things that you care about, not necessarily things that people are telling you to write about. Uh, you've written a book, Can I Keep My Jersey? Uh, I think you're working on a couple other ones, if I saw correctly. And you uh, recently founded the Writer's Block. Can you tell us a little bit about the Writer's Block? 
that actually, yeah, that, it's it's pretty close to my heart. I know that uh, we're going to turn off about half of your listeners who are like, why are we talking about this writer's workshop in Santa Monica, California? But um, I, after my basketball career and after the publication of Can I Keep My Jersey, spent a bunch of time working on a novel that ended up uh, in the trash. And part of the reason that that failed was because I was thinking so much about, like, well, this is what I need to write for the next step in my career. Um, and so it, it caused a little bit of a come to Jesus meeting. And one of the results of that was to get more serious about my writing, but also to connect with like, what do I care about with writing? And for me, that is connecting with people. As I mentioned earlier, like I, I loved reading as a kid who grew up in a small town in Kansas, feeling like this was a window into the world. These people were giving me a glimpse of a world that I couldn't necessarily get to, or might not ever get to. Fortunately, I've I've gotten to go to some of those places, and I've been lucky to do so. Um, but writer's block exists because I knew that it was going to take a long time to get these books out, and I wanted to figure out another way to connect. And so, created a place where people can come and to work on writing and to also meet other writers because I think writing is often a very lonely enterprise, um, and that's just especially true in Los Angeles where people are kind of their own little entities. So I'm proud of what it has become. We, uh, we operate on Mondays and Tuesday nights and I make almost no money off of it, but, um, there is a sense that there's a community there where people are coming together, feeling a little less alone, getting a little cheerleading from other writers and also like just getting shit done. Um, I've applied a lot of the lessons that I learned from basketball about, how to kind of incrementally progress in a career to writing and, and talk about that a fair bit at, at writer's block, but it's not really something that uh, is, is dependent on my personality as much as it is a place for people to just gather and hold each other accountable and cheerlead one another a little bit. So you want to, you said you want to call your, your speaking engagements necessarily a career right now, but I, I think you could definitely call your writing uh, a career which have you enjoyed more now that you've had essentially two careers? You've had a writing career, you've had a basketball career. Uh, is, there, is there one that you have enjoyed more? Uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to say. It, it would sound like a politically correct answer but or a, a, a taunt, but there were, of course, aspects of each that I liked. I loved getting to – I lived in Spain for two straight years, and, and some of that was – bridging the gap between teams where I was living with a girl in the born district of, of Barcelona. Um, but I also disliked how lonely I was a lot of the time, like basketball, especially when you are a journeyman, like I was, and I was also, you know, on the margins of teams. Um, it's a, that's a, a lonely and, and sometimes brutal existence. What was especially lonely about that was that no one is willing to, kind of go down that road with you they're like well this must be the best job in the world so how could you ever complain i've seen plenty of complaints about the way that i've written about basketball because people will say like how could you ever say anything negative about for example getting to play for the atlanta hawks well the truth was that it's all cumulative um there was a lot of loneliness that that went into some of those experiences and and you can see that in the uh the amazon reviews for my book where people are like how can this asshole be anything but grateful for his life? Um, and that is illuminative in that one should always be thankful. But I also think it can be illuminative, illuminative sorry, in, uh, in understanding that we all just have our struggles. And, um, and it's, it is a hard sell to tell people that 
you know, being a professional basketball player is difficult, but it is a it is a weird world. It's a it can be a brutal and unforgiving existence. And for that reason, I am I don't miss a lot of it. I I love getting to be in a place more frequently and you know I, I could I flew home to do these these speaking gigs and could see my family and relax a little bit that is that is pretty invaluable to me at this point when you played overseas was that a was that a time where you felt more connected or, or less connected and how does that experience compare to playing in uh, the United States uh, it was when I played in Spain and I will say this, and it sounds like I'm bragging, but I will follow it up with something else. Um, Spain has the second-best basketball league in the world, and it was the perfect level for me. Um, I was, I probably could have caught on as a 10th guy in the NBA, and nobody would have noticed. I think at that, at that level, like, the margin is very slim. Like, we could be looking back at my career, and I played nine years in the NBA as just one of those guys that you don't ever hear of. Or I could have never played in the NBA. Like that was also an option. Um, but Spain was a place where I could go out and score ten points a game, and you know shoot thirty-five percent from three, and and enjoy what I was doing without having to just brutalize my body. Um, so I loved that reconnection that I made with basketball. It also helped that I had had that terrible injury when I was playing for the Bulls, where I had my kidney and spleen uh, ruptured. And that caused me to think differently about basketball and, and honestly about my life. Um, and so when I was overseas, I was able to maybe see it all through slightly more reasonable glasses. I was laughing. I was I was talking tonight to these uh, kids at Emporia State about the uh, repercussions from the famous block charge, the double foul, and how – you know, I, I became slightly infamous for a little while because I was crying so hard, and they put this picture of me in the newspaper all over the country, and it was the front cover of the Iowa State Daily, and I had to face down 24,000 students or felt that way that day with my own picture plastered across the front page. And, like, I, I'm glad that I took basketball that seriously when I was in college, but I also there's a part of me that wishes that I could have seen it um, – for what it was and, and enjoyed it, but maybe not ha- made it, you know, the, the totality of my existence. George Yang just got drafted. Um, he's kind of on that, on that fringe as far as it looks like he's going to make the roster, might not necessarily be in the rotation. What advice would you give him for the beginning of his career moving on? Uh, it'll sound a little hokey, but I think it goes back to, to what I was talking about earlier, um, just figuring out like what do you love about this day of practice, or what is what is motivating you about getting onto the court today? I think I lost sight of that pretty often, um, and and played scared. You know, I was I was thinking all the time about well, what do the fans expect of me, or what do the coaches expect of me? And obviously, you have to think about that within the context of it to be successful and also to appreciate what you're doing you do have to get back to like playing with a certain amount of joy and vulnerability and just letting go and and doing that's what we that's what we pay to see we pay to see guys just kind of like let go of the cognitive side and uh and and react and respond um and it seems like 
he's the type of guy who can do that. He doesn't seem to have ever been too beholden to other people's opinions. He's played a certain way, and if he didn't like it, then uh, he didn't care too much. Earlier you mentioned uh, you're, you've got a pretty good relationship with Tim Floyd to this day. Uh, he left for the Chicago Bulls. Fast forward over a decade, uh, Iowa State loses another coach to the Chicago Bulls. A lot of the players came out and said, you know, the politically correct things here when, when Fred left for the Chicago Bulls. As a player who was pretty attached to your coach, what really is going through your mind and what kind of emotions are in that locker room uh, when your coach up and leaves for the NBA? Um, it was – when Coach Floyd left us, it was not that – it was, A, not surprising, and, B, it wasn't quite have the connection to the program that I think – Fred has and had. Um, so it was tough because, you know, individually I had built up a relationship with him. Um, but it didn't feel completely like the rug was being pulled out from under us. I would imagine that it was that it was difficult for the players who Fred left behind just because he had kind of like really put his stamp on the program just by nature of growing up there and playing there. And like, it, it's so tied to him. He's like the if, uh, if Fred, Fred Hoiberg is to the Iowa State Cyclones as George Brett is to the Kansas City Royals, like you just can't imagine one without the other. Um, and so it, it is a little bit like a marriage or something like that where you're going to move on and you're going to probably put it back together with somebody else, but the divorce is going to be messy and it's maybe never going to be quite the same as the first time around. After, after Floyd left, in walks Larry Stacey. I think we all want to know what does a typical Larry Station practice look like? We've heard the rumors. Was it really as grueling as everyone made it out to be? Yeah, it's it probably more grueling. Um, I had one of my brothers uh, was a pretty highly recruited uh, high school basketball player. Ended up playing at Colgate because he didn't really want to beat his brains in like I did. But um, he came to a practice when he was like a high school junior or senior I remember like you start to, as a player get a little bit of Stockholm syndrome where you're like well I guess it's just how it is everywhere um but like seeing him be white as a sheet after watching one of our practices hammered at home that like this is different than other places in the world um I think there was a there was a method to it and I know I know there was a method to it but you say she wanted to make practice that much harder than games such that when we played games, it felt easy. And he did a pretty good job of that. I think the problem though, is that that just wears teams out. Um, this is well in people's memory banks. Well, well, well back in them. And they will maybe, or maybe not remember this, but when I was a senior, we lost to Hampton in the first round and uh, became, I think the fourth number two seed to ever lose in the first round it came as a surprise to almost none of us because we were so destroyed by the just constant psychological abuse. Um, and nobody really liked each other anymore. Um, and when I watch sports now, I'm often thinking about that moment in a uh, Boise, Idaho hotel room when Larry Stacey says to us, like, I don't even want to look at you anymore. It, to all of us, you know, the day before the game, uh, I'm so tired of dealing with all of you. And we were tired of dealing with him. He, we were tired of dealing with each other. Um, that hammers home to me how important it is that 
that people get along and that you're able to to function over the course of a long season. I'm of course a big Kansas City Royals fan, and I think um, watching that team these last two years, where guys come back from injury, but there's this this progression uh, all along of knowing like this is how we're going to manage, you know, brain power, psychological power, mental or sorry physical um, attributes. It was, was has been kind of masterful and interesting for me as a as a former athlete. So, what made what made 2000 so successful then, uh, when you went to the Elite Eight and, and a lot of people's opinions, you were the best best team in the country, uh, if not for maybe playing in Auburn Hills against the Michigan State Spartans. You mentioned how psychologically beat down you were the next year. Uh, what what made the year before that? successful well i think we in a lot of ways it was like a two-year program um jamal tinsley came in before that elite eight year cantrell horton came in before that year um Pfizer was really kind of coming into his own and so a lot of us were together for those two years um i know that cantrell and jamal didn't lose at home their junior and senior years uh, and so it, it can, in a lot of ways, in my brain, it is it, it is almost thought of as this like two-year progression. And so I think we had enough in the emotional tank one year of it, um, but then the next year it, the alchemy was strong, and uh, and we sort of had it with each other. And by now we're, we were fracturing just because that's just I think how it can go among near grown-ups. Uh, it can either be that like oh, God, we're going to come together for one more three-week run, or to hell with this, we're all tired of each other. Let's get out of here. Were you guys better than Michigan State that year, in your opinion? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it's it's so hard for me to even judge it because I think we our, my perception is, is skewed um, in that I, I could see so many flaws with our team, and, and it becomes hard to see the flaws of, of other teams. Um I think like Marcus Pfizer was just such an extraordinary college basketball player that that gets lost sometimes uh, in my own thinking about how those games could have or would have gone. Um, so you know it wouldn't it wouldn't have been a surprise if we had won and if we had marched on into the the finals. But I think like college basketball is such a crapshoot. It is not like the NBA where usually the best team or one of the two best teams wins. Uh, it's so much about like, oh, somebody had a cold shooting night and now the best team in the country is done. Um, and that, I think fans love that. When I'm in purist boots, I hate it because it, uh, it, it does seem a little bit uh, chancy to me. Well, I know you're traveling, uh, and so I don't want to take too much of your time up here. Uh, maybe we can continue this conversation some other time when you have a, a spare minute. But can you tell our fans where uh, – where they can catch you on Wednesday, and then uh, maybe where they can follow some of your work online, on Twitter, and that sort of thing. For sure. Uh, so I'm, I'm skiing at, uh, at noon on Wednesday in Boone at DMAC. Um, beyond that, I think there will be some signs up. I don't know the exact, like, building name because uh, that's that's as far as I can get you. Um, as for hey, – I, I got it right here. It's at – Boone Boone Campus Auditorium. I just I just looked it up. So that's where uh, your nice. rockets crowd. That's what. Called. That's where we're. It's like I'm on the moon and you're at base camp or ground control. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, so if you want to keep track of me, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Paul Van Shirley, which is important because I hate it when people call me by my last name. So I put the Van between Paul and Shirley so people know the order. Um, um, but, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I'm always thankful to, uh, to get to talk about those, those, those days and appreciate it very much. I have to be honest. Like, I appreciate getting to be able to think it out a little bit because it is fun to, to consider, like, what does that stuff mean? Like, what does my college basketball career mean? So thanks to you. And also thanks to, like, uh, Iowa State fans who've been patient with me over the years and all, my, all the things that I've written, said, done, or whatever. Well, we appreciate you following your work from afar um, and taking the time here to to chat Iowa State and then, you know, about what your life was like catching up with former athletes and uh, seeing what they're doing now. And uh, you're, you're doing a lot of good work, Paul, so, so keep it up. Thanks, Austin. Have a, uh, have a fine day, night, whenever people are listening to this. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Enjoy the, re- enjoy the rest of your drive. Thanks, man. Well, that wraps it up here for two, uh, today, Cyclone fans. Uh, don't forget to subscribe here on iTunes. Uh, leave us a review. Tell us what we're doing well or what we're not doing so well. Uh, thanks to Jake McDonough for the intro and the outro music. Uh, don't forget to catch him on SoundCloud. He's got a lot of good stuff on there. Uh, and catch Paul uh, Paul and Boone at, at DMAC on Wednesday. We'll put uh, location and all that in the show notes here. Uh, have yourselves a, a great rest of your, your Tuesday. Take it easy. Let your players get near me. Holler if you hear me. summer wherever you're heading in the great outdoors make your first stop the home depot for off deep woods or active sweat proof bug spray right now get any three for just 10 bucks in your backyard or in the woods if it's long lasting protection you want or sweat proof performance you need when off goes on bugs go away stock up now on off deep woods or active bug spray three for just 10 bucks only at the home depot more saving more doing while supplies last This summer, wherever you're heading in the great outdoors, make your first stop the Home Depot for off deep woods or active sweat-proof bug spray. Right now, get any three for just 10 bucks in your backyard or in the woods. If it's long-lasting protection you want or sweat-proof performance you need, when off goes on, bugs go away. Stock up now on off deep woods or active bug spray, three for just 10 bucks. Only at the Home Depot. More saving, more doing while supplies last.